this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about a boogie woogie and I'm going to play one. I'm Steve Vincent. I'm Paul Schultz. And this is the Don't Panic Radio Show. Sit back, relax, and ignore the news. Nothing you're about to hear is true. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. This is episode 198. I'm Steve Vinson. Sitting right over there is Paul Schultz. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) This week we're going to talk about the Wild Bunch. This being the, what is it, 50th anniversary? Yeah. 50th anniversary. It's so appropriate because this season of the Don't Panic Radio Show, meaning the last 10 episodes or so, have been very much about turning 50. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you, tur- you turned fifty last year. I turned fifty this year. The Wild Bunch turned fifty just last week. So I watched it. Yeah, did you watch it? Oh yeah, we we watched it simultaneously, but apart. I, I could feel us watching it together. <laughs> distance, hey, mere geographical distance in this physical plane cannot separate us. One of my favorite quotes, and I I sent you this while we were watching it was, "Being right's my business." That's right. I was like, that's my business. And we saw where that got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. What what business are you in? Being right. And business is good. <laughs> yeah, and business is good. <laughs> it's like, I'm in the being right business. I'm not that great at it. Uh, I'm sort of mediocre. That's one of those businesses where if you're mediocre at being right, I don't think you could really say being right's your business. Yeah. Whereas, but- let's say you're a mediocre cobbler, right? And you're like, his shoes are okay. Hey, prices are pretty low, so you know if you need a cheap pair of shoes, probably won't last more than a year. But he does all right. He's a mediocre cobbler. He could probably make an okay living, right? But if you're in the being right business, you're like, he's yeah, going down to Steve. He's kind of his prices are good. He's kind of mediocre at being right. So if you really need somebody to be right, like every time, don't go to him. But most of the, I mean, a lot of the times he's right. Not, not really most of the time. Like, you would never go to that guy. You'd be like, no, why would I go to that guy? I'm right at least, you know, half of the time. Why do I need to go to a guy whose business it is being right if he's not, not really good at it? But one of the one of the benefits of, you know, turning 50 is you're, you're officially your dad's age, and your dad was always right. That's a good point. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the Wild Bunch today. I took notes. Which is the best way to watch The Wild Bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I only took notes during the last 34 minutes, which I had to watch today because I couldn't finish it last night. (laughs) That's going to be one of my notes is that movie is too damn long. I know some of my notes are going to be unpopular with many of the hosts of this show. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I got to be honest. right? I got to be me. I got to be real. Even if it's unpopular with some of the hosts of the show, it's still got to be real. This is one of your favorite movies of all time, am I right? It is the favorite movie of mine of all time, yes. Not just one of. 
I know our listeners follow you on Facebook, so they probably already know this, but can you remind us why it's your favorite movie of all time? Why don't you read it? <laughs> oh, good idea. Playing the part of Paul Schultz. If they move, kill them. Fifty years ago today, those words exploded across the screen as the Wild Bunch debuted across a country that wasn't ready for it. Admittedly, I saw it much later, around 1986, and it wasn't until even later that the director's cut was released. But this movie spoke to me on a visceral level. It's my favorite movie of all time. I've seen it more times than I can count, and I'll take the Pepsi challenge with it against anything you can throw at me. If you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself to watch it. That said, I know what I'm doing tonight. Laundry. <laughs> So then uh, your friend Primo, mm-hmm. great, great name, by the way, Italian dude, <laughs> yeah. Cardinale. Yeah. Like, of course, Italians love Westerns. <laughs> Spaghetti Westerns in particular. But So Primo says, it's arguably, <clears throat> I'm trying to do it in an Italian accent, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. It's arguably a fine film and specifically an amazing Western. What is it about TWB? That's the wild bunch for those of us who on the inner circle in your opinion that elevates it above say the searchers once upon a time in the west or Josie Wales and then Paul Schultz responds with one of the best reviews of a western I've ever heard (laughs) it's an unflinching look how man is just a two-legged animal. How the innocent suffer the most. We're never who we really think we are. Loyalty is what matters above all else, and there's only one way out of this world. It's a big, bloody mirror held in front of us. Some of us look at it. Some of us have to look away. It's about what happens when we refuse to adapt to changing times. The performances are great as well. There's a story I read once during a rehearsal after Edmund O'Brien delivered his Who the hell is they? speech in character. Holden got up and headed for his trailer. When Peckinpah asked him where he was going, Holden replied, To rehearse. (laughs) So I watched it last night. Mm Mm-hmm. Primarily because of your post and oh. <laughs> your unflinching comments about the movie. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, uh, all right, I got to figure out who Edmund O'Brien, which one is Edmund O'Brien? Oh, yeah, he's the uh, Blazing Saddles character that says, the yeah. sheriff is near. <laughs> he's, the, he's the prospector in uh, the ballad of, what's his name? That, uh, the ballad of Buster Scruggs and other stories or something like that? Yeah, he's the, the prospector in that one. He's the old drunk in the uh, town in Blazing Saddles, except it's really, it's an interesting, I could watch that movie again and again and like just study that one character. (laughs) 
because he gets real serious sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. like like a lot of the time he's just like this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And then a lot of, then sometimes he'll go, who's they? (laughs) I'll tell you who they is. They's just plain and fancy. They, that's who they is. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, way to put it and then I, and then I was as I was like when he first said why did you like this movie I, I was like okay let's see how this goes <laughs> I half expected it to just be like it's just great it's a great western I just like it that's all I just love mm-hmm. this western not because I don't have faith in your ability to describe why you like stuff right but because I know that sometimes you feel like people don't want to hear it and yes. I'm so glad that you realized that Primo really wanted to hear it and so did the rest of us, because that, my friend, is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It comes from watching it more times than I can remember. All right. So here's the first thing I'm going to say about it. It was too long. <laughs> I think, I don't know if this was the director's cut or the extended edition or whatever, but what was it, like two and a half hours? Or yeah, something. two hours and 24 minutes. I think it could have been an hour and 45 minutes. It initially was after the after the first release. It got chopped down to about that. Wonder what they chopped. They cut out the, all the flashbacks with Holden and his girlfriend, and <sighs> when when him and Robert Ryan were in the the hotel room. Oh. And they cut out the whole the whole big scene where the general is fighting Pancho Villa at the at the train station. Mm. Yeah, they cut out all that stuff. Those would not have been my choices to cut. That's what they cut. In fact, I'm not sure there were any whole scenes that would have cut. I think there were there were there were lots of like, okay, this scene could have been shorter. I would have gotten the gist of what they're trying to do. Maybe mm-hmm. there was a lot. One of one of my one of the scenes I thought really dragged out was from the moment, and it was multiple scenes, but f- the train where they were robbing the train. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like they dragged that out quite a bit, and by they, who's they? Just they, <laughs> Who the just hell is fancy they? Day, right? <laughs> so anyway, I guess I'll just start by saying the first half hour was probably the best half hour in cinema. <laughs> yes. Right? I mean, the movie, I'm sure Peck and Paul like, was thinking, I'm just going to grab him by the nuts in the first half an hour. Yeah. And I'm just going to squeeze and I'm just going to keep squeezing for the rest of the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much, yes. I mean... um, I had forgotten most of the movie. I'll, I'll just freely admit. Mm-hmm. I knew, I know I've seen it before, but I have forgotten most of it. I get it confused. There's another movie where like four guys go up against this big group of like a like a marauding army of I forget what that movie's called. Anyway, I get it confused. So I didn't remember. I was like, I think these soldier dudes are actually going to rob the place, but don't quite remember. You know. <laughs> But then when the shootout, like before the shootout happened, I was like, oh, there's no way they're going to shoot up this whole town. And I just love the way that they, like Peckinpah's just like, I don't give a fuck, whatever. Yeah. Shoot up this whole town. Yep. <laughs> Innocent people dying, kids getting shot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then how the dudes, like the posse, the we represent the law, you know, those guys. Mm-hmm. They come running out and just start like, oh, we're just going to scavenge all these people yeah, we just killed, including the innocent townies. Yep. Yep. They're buzzards. 
And in the end scene, right, they're buzzards literally in the end after another big shootout and a bunch of dead people that these guys, and in the end, these guys didn't kill any of the people that were dead. They <laughs> yeah. just start scavenging and they're literally are buzzards. Yeah. Because they've, they've even got buzzards up on like the ramparts and stuff, kind of like symbolizing as these guys are all running through there, picking people, picking yeah. through people's stuff. And they even said at one point, like, you know, we get, you know, don't hang around because the buzzards are going to pick them apart. You know, mm-hmm. like, yep, these are these guys are buzzards. That's for sure. Um, So, yeah, that first the first half an hour and the last half an hour of this movie, if you don't watch anything else, you, you'll be confused at the end. But <laughs> <laughs> you will see some great action. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like if you're going to watch. um Olympus has fallen, mm-hmm. as we did. Uh, you pretty much know which scenes you want to watch, right? <laughs> if you only have a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah. You don't need all that talking in the middle. You get the gist. So back to kind of what you were saying about it. It holds a mirror to us and man's just an animal on two legs or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much most of human history, you know? And that's one of the things he was trying to do with that movie. I think we live in a time now where... We believe, at least in the United States and most of Europe, probably large sections of Russia and China, <laughs> you know, we kind of believe we're done with all that. You know, life isn't like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's real clear who the good guys are and it's real clear who the bad guys are. And, you know, there's justice and it just most of human history has not been that way. And in fact, large <laughs> portions of the earth currently are not that way. Right. And so I wonder, are we making progress? Are we getting better? You know what I mean? As I explained to my therapist one day, that this current generation, the generation that you and I are raising, is the first generation on this planet that gets to be quote-unquote normal. You know, they don't have they don't have all of this attached to them, all this stuff looming over their heads the way we did and the way the generations before us did. So I yeah, I think we're I think we are. I wonder if and maybe this is maybe it's some of the dark darkness coming out. Is it a paper thin veneer? In other words, what would it take to send us back? Like Nothing, we, we haven't evolved. Like, there's no evolution, like biological evolution that's happened. Right. So, right. in other words, if, um, I don't know, let's say somebody actually does activate Cerberus, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like at the end of um, Olympus Has Fallen, and somebody mm-hmm. explodes a bunch of nuclear or whatever, or some Mad Max situation happened, mm-hmm. there, is there anything about human beings today that would keep us from reverting back to the wild bunch? Mm. Or is it our societal institutions that we've built up in what we call civilized society, the West, the East, you know, China, mm-hmm. say China to some extent, because they're still a little bit brutal, but in general, they have pretty civilized society. You know, Western society is pretty civilized. But, I mean, look at Eastern Europe when the, when the Soviet Union fell. I mean, they just mm-hmm. immediately devolved into sectarian violence. But the counter-argument to that would be, yeah, but look, it only took a year or two to sort that out. That's exactly what would happen again. I think we, I think we like civilization too much to revert to 
barbarism again, if that if that's the word I'm looking for. It might happen for a year, you know, depending on the scale of the disaster. But I think we just like, you know, we like our lattes too much, you know. <laughs> We we like Law and Order a little bit too much. Yeah, I you know what I think that it's probably another episode, but I just feel like there's something in human nature that um, you might be right if we could get it sorted out within a decade, but if it went longer than a generation, I think humans would would revert to what we evolved to be, which is you know strong men. Loyalty. Here's the other thing about loyalty that they pointed out in the movie. Like the statement, like a really bold statement was, if you give your word, right? You are your word, right? You have to keep your word. And Ernest Borgnine's like, it's not just your word. It matters who you give it to. Yeah. Right? Yep. So it's not just loyalty. It's who you're loyal to. Yeah. Right? And so... If we got to the point where somebody said, well, who am I going to be loyal to? Well, it's whoever can, whoever's not going to, you know, kill me immediately. (laughs) Whoever I, you know, I tend to sort of like and whoever can help, help me, who can protect me. Right. Mm -hmm. Which ends up being either a corrupt Mexican general or (laughs) uh, William Holden or the other guy. (laughs) I always forget their names. Either Pike you know, you're going to follow Pike, you're going to follow Thornton, and even Thornton, like, ends up following, not because he wants to, but because yeah. he feel like feels like he has to. It's like, I either do what the railroad's telling me, or mm-hmm. um, I go back to prison. Yeah. Right? So even he, who's like, I can't tell if he's supposed to be the good guy or the bad guy. That's part of the ambiguity of the movie. It's yeah. like, nobody's a good guy, nobody's a bad guy. Well, as know. he as he put it, what I want... And what a need are two different things. Yes. He wanted to be with Holden and the rest of them. Mm-hmm. But what he needed to be is not in prison. Yeah. And that's the thing. The thing about that movie, too, is like the characters constantly contradict themselves because they say one thing and then do another. And that's why in the end, they realize that they pretty much f- fucked everything. That everything that they ever thought was... What they they thought they were Robin Hood, hmm. but they really weren't. And then the you know in the end when they realized that Angel actually was Robin Hood, that's who they wanted to be like. Yeah, yeah. And then the, I think I think in the end it was, it was just so well put together. Mm-hmm. Just the the way that Ernest Borgnine and and Pike had the conversation about. Yeah, I think, you know, this will be my last job, and I'm moving on. Ernest Borgnine's like, oh, moving on to what? What mm-hmm. else is there? And then and Pike looks at him like, fuck, I, I know, all right, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there is nothing to move on to. It's almost like the, the Wild Bunch was of mice and men. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we're, we got this great dream that we're going to settle on, but we, we know it's completely unattainable. Well, and in the end... And in the in the final analysis, what did they do? Well, he, they got done fucking the hookers. He, mm-hmm. you know, the the two guys underpaid, but he, he ended up overpaying. He overpaid because yeah, she represented everything he ever he never had. Well, you know everything that he could never be. Like she was yeah, good. Yeah, 
right? Yep. She, if there was a good guy, it was probably her. And he could never be that. And he could never have that. So he's like, well, here's mm-hmm. a bunch of gold, right? Yep. He probably paid her like $500 or something. Most he... like, which was, which was a lot more well, than, well, than it is now. Well, the <laughs> other, the other ones wanted like the equivalent of like probably 20 cents, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so then he just looks at the other guys and he's like, let's go. Let's, yep. let's go. So I think <laughs> it was a suicide mission. I think he knew yeah. it. They all yeah. knew it. They knew they weren't going to give him Angel back. Mm-hmm. And they knew that it was going to come down to a gunfight. And they knew they were. it was four dudes against 300 soldiers. <laughs> but here's the thing. When they get there and the general slits Angel's throat... And Pike shoots him. Yeah. And the crowd goes crazy, but they're all paused. Yeah. They could have backed out. But when yeah. Holden Holden looks at Borgnine, who's his anti Jiminy cricket, and he's like, We can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and that that was like okay. Off goes the German general. And then everything I thought, just landslides. You know what I thought for a second during mm. that and this is this is indicative of me listening to way too much hardcore history. Mm-hmm. Um, for a split second, probably more like eight or nine split seconds, I mm-hmm. thought this is so. You know, the Mexicans are basically the descendants. Uh, you know, it's all mixed, right? Mm-hmm. Of um, the Spanish who conquered the Aztecs, right? Mm-hmm. And there's they mixed like this Spanish and the Aztecs and the Mayans and all the local. You know, it's weird how Mexico, like the United States is nothing like Mexico in terms of like, like it's rare to meet. Everybody claims they have Indian blood, but most people don't. Right. But <laughs> almost Mexicans, every woman I've ever met claims she has Indian blood. <laughs> you mean in Guys, a jar so on the shelf or in your, what do you actually mean? It's like, that's weird. You have Indian and Indian's blood in the fridge. Where, where do you have this anyway? So, but, but Mexican, like I used to think, why are Mexicans and South America, you know, Central Americans, why are they dark skinned and Spanish people are, are white? It's like, Oh, that's right. They, they mix. Like there's a lot because Central American, you know, Mexican Central American uh, civilization was way more advanced at that point. Mm-hmm. At least, I'll, I'll put it a different way. First of all, it was more advanced uh, in terms of you know, empire, like the strength mm-hmm. and stability of the empire was mm-hmm. way more advanced in the Mexico, Central American, South American regions than it was, you know, up in the United States, Canada region. But the second thing is the disease that the Spanish brought with them and the Europeans brought with them pretty much wiped out the natives that were in the United States and what is now the United States and Canada, right? Before Europeans ever started pushing West. So there wasn't a lot of resistance left or a lot of breeding people to breed with. (laughs) So anyway, so that the, the thing I thought when these, you know, cause Cortez showed up with like 600 men and like a hundred horses or something, Mm -hmm. a few Mm -hmm. cannon, some rifles, um, and armor. Um, and steel. <laughs> um, yeah. He showed up with that many people and ended up conquering the Aztec Empire, which was million, you know, a couple million mm-hmm. Aztecs. Strongest empire, as strong as the Roman Empire at its height, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, what they were dealing with. Um, so then I thought, 
oh, is that what he's trying to say? Like these four dudes are going to freaking conquer this 300 person <laughs> you know, army, just mm. four guys. And, and are they going to do it the same way that Cortez did it, which the way Cortez did it, well, he, you know, two, he did two things. One is he enlisted the help of the local other tribes that didn't like the yeah. Aztecs. And, yeah. um, actually, um, Pizarro did, did an even, be, even more dramatic job of this, but took very few people to the capital and captured the leader, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and while everybody stood around just kind of in shock, all the, all the Aztecs in the North and the Incas in the South just kind of stood around in shock while these Europeans just kind of captured the leader. And suddenly now they're in charge. And I thought, Oh, is that what he's doing? Like now these, you know, you know, it's like the real Montezuma revenge. Are these four <laughs> guys just going to take over this town? Cause for a second there, I was thinking, like a few of the soldiers were putting their hands up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are these guys just going to take over this town? Um, then of course the shooting really started and then yep. they got a hold of the damn machine gun. And I was like, <laughs> and the grenades <laughs> and the grenades. And I was like, this is like, this is, this is a world war one preview right here. Right. You mm. even had the mm-hmm. German guy who was one of the first ones to get shot, but you had massed infantry charging into machine gun fire and grenades. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was like, that's World War One right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was so great. What a great scene that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just the bodies are just piling up and these guys are just like one one of them would get shot and the other one would grab the machine gun and keep shooting. Oh, it was great. <laughs> and then at the very end, Pike's you know, Pike's hand is still gripping the the grip of the machine still gun. Still on when, the gun. When Thornton, you know, yep. comes up and finds him. It's like that, even though he was shot by a little kid, it's still like that is like going out in a blaze of glory right there. That's better than retirement. <laughs> That's what we all hope for. Yes. <laughs> that the And the little kid, the th- funny thing is, the little kid that shoots him is the same little kid that was like standing around the general during the whole battle with Pancho Villa's men. That was waiting for him to like let him, you know, relieve him. Oh, that was the but, same kid. And you never would have known that in the in the original, in the pre-director's cut version, you never would have known that. I thought that was a great scene, the Pancho Villa scene, because mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like a lot of, um, I think the reason the Italians like westerns is um, obviously, you know, the there's cross influences, right? The spaghetti western mm-hmm. genre. But I also think there's a lot of, um, now that I know more about Roman history, <laughs> I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of that, like Romans, is like the, the macho men of Rome were so cowboy and that, and mm-hmm. so Mexican generalissimo, like that's exactly what a Roman general would have done, right? Like mm-hmm. these barbarians are attacking from the hills. A Roman general would just stand there until the last second, just going like, men would be falling around him from the, you know, from the arrows or whatever. And they would just stand there until the last second and be like, okay, now let's go. You know? Right. You know what else I wonder Hmm. when you think about the Western genre, like this was, I don't know when you, when you talk about Pancho Villa and there's an automobile and a machine gun and and grenades, I don't know exactly when it was set. It had to be in the 19 Oh something. Right, 1910 at the latest, maybe? It was 1913. 13, okay. So, yeah, sometime in the first 
before yeah. World War, just just before World War One, right? Right. Could even have been after World War One had broken out in Europe. But that is the absolute latest that you can have a Western. That's why he put it there. And and if you want to go backwards, like the late 1850s, maybe is about the earliest you can go. Yeah. You got to be somewhere between Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and Wild Bunch to be a Western, right? Yes. And so what I was wondering is, okay, that 50-year time period is when the Wild West was the Wild West to Europeans, right? Mm-hmm. And the Wild West, is we love the Wild West because the Wild West is kind of like how we sort of believe men are supposed to be, right? Yes. The strong survive. Yes. There's there's no clear good or evil. There's just strength. There's loyalty. Or there's 100% clear-cut good versus evil. Yeah, the white hats and the, and the black hats, right? Mm-hmm. I started wondering, that area of the country, or of, I'll say, of the planet, meaning northern Mexico, southern, um, what is now the United States, so like Texas, California... Uh, Mexico, Northern Mexico, those areas. I wonder if it was like that, only not with Europeans, but with, you know, descendants of the Spanish. In other words, maybe the Mexicans and the Central Americans, we know. In fact, I, I already know this. The Mexicans were dealing with the Apache and the um, the Creek and those, I don't know about the Creek, but certainly the Apache, they were dealing with them mm-hmm. and had a much mm-hmm. worse time of it than the than the uh, Americans um, for yeah. a hundred or more years, right? They started running into yes. Apache, and the Apache were like, "We don't, we don't see borders. We just like these are our lands, right? And we live here." And so, you know, there would be raids, and so I just wonder if there were like mm-hmm. Mexican. In other words, what we call cowboys were there Mexican cowboys, you know? And for how long? So uh, this whole episode uh, has basically been trying to approximate what you already said about this movie. It does so many great things. It reminds me of so much of human history. And it, and it pretty much mm-hmm. captures, like I think slice of life movies, you know, basically chick flicks, try to capture the human mm-hmm. spirit. It's like this is humanity. Mm-hmm. This movie's about humanity and who we are as, a, as people, you know. And I think most of them, they may be right, but they should say when we're at our best, when there's stability, when there's a functioning government, <laughs> you know, mm. and yeah. running water. Um, it's like, <laughs> but my belief is if you took all that away, like the veneer of all of the norms and rules and, and stability and security that we have, if you took all that away, I think the Wild Bunch is, is, is an accurate of a portrayal of humanity as any movie I've seen. Yeah. And it, and it is. And I think that's why initially it didn't do so well in the box office. <laughs> People are like, this sucks. Because, <laughs> well, think about it. 1969, oh, yeah. we were smack fuck dab in the middle of Vietnam and Peckinpah's mission with the wild bunch was he hated the fact that we sat at our supper table with our TV dinners, mm-hmm. watching footage from Vietnam all the while, all around those news broadcasts were these really cheesy westerns where the good guys always won nobody there was never any blood and the guy who died would be in another mo- another show you know as a different character oh, yeah. he really wanted to show how horrible the violence of it was cuz his plan was he wanted to 
show you how ugly it was so that we would like stop being obsessed with it. Mm. But he later admitted that he fucked up <laughs> because we became obsessed with that movie on the we the the audience fell for it for the wrong reasons. They 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 got off on the excessive violence. And remember 1969 that you, you look at it now and you see that kind of stuff on regular TV, network television. In 1969, they were running up against, like, Disney movies and musicals and stuff like that. And what Westerns were left were the ones where the guy shoots and the guy goes, uh, uh, and fall, you know, covers it up and falls over and pretends he's dead. It, it was super realistic at, the, at that point. Now it's a Disney movie, practically. But it just didn't, it, it didn't accomplish what he had set out for it to accomplish because he was a Peckinpah was a, a Korean war veteran and he'd seen some pretty hairy shit. So he was trying to bring that into, you know, take his experiences from Korea in the Vietnam era and hopefully make a statement. But the statement got lost. It's interesting. Cause you, you know, you say it's a Disney movie or whatever. Um, the violence isn't, it's, it's graphic enough. Like you see the blood spouting and everything. Um, mm. but women and children die. The number of young, innocent women who die in this thing, it's just and innocent men and kids, you know, mm -hmm. when they were setting up the squibs, cause the first, the first scene they shot was the finale ah. and they went the, the, I forget which movie company made it, but they gave them something like 40,000 rounds of, you know, fake ammo. And he's like, I'm going to need more. I'm like, no, this is enough. Well, they burned through that initial amount in the finale, <laughs> which was, like I said, the first scene shot. And one of the things, when they were setting up the squibs and stuff for the blood, he, he fucking hated it. Because it looks like, you know, it's like what they were doing with the spaghetti westerns. Because one of the things that, like the, like the spaghetti westerns and the Italian movies, even though they could show blood, which is why Clint Eastwood went to Italy to make these movies, it looked like paint. Mm -hmm. So what he did was, he, it's kind of terrible. He, he found a cow and he goes, look, bang, and he shot the cow. That's what blood looks like. Wow. <laughs> so they, the, the squibs were essentially uh, cow blood. So what I'm wondering is they, they filmed that in, I want to say, somewhere close to Mexico. So in the middle of summer, it's probably like 110 degrees out. They're in this little confined atrium-looking coliseum area mm -hmm. with all this real blood. <laughs> the smell Ugh. had to have been horrendous, <laughs> which is why you can almost smell this movie. Yeah, and some of the dialogue, you know, they're like, Let's get out of here. This place is going to stink soon. Yeah, they're yeah. going to start getting ripe pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, well, I give it a, I don't know, maybe a 10 out of 11. I'll accept that. <laughs> One day we'll watch it together, and it'll be 11 out of 11. <laughs> let's just hope, let's just not drink too much beforehand, because I don't want to fall asleep. <laughs> All right, good movie. Uh, watch this movie and then also watch uh, Olympus Has Fallen. But he's got a new one out. Did you see that? No. It's um, 
Every motherfucking thing has fallen. Every mo- <laughs> <laughs> All right. In that case, um, for Deke Thornton, for Pike Bishop, for Ernest Borgnine, who I don't care what his character's name in any movie he's in, he will always be Ernest Borgnine to me because his mama called him <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, his daddy called him Ernest Borgnine. I'm going to call him Ernest Borgnine. And for Paul Schultz, I'm Steve Vinson, and nothing you just heard was true. And, and who the hell is they? <laughs> <laughs>